Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> we're winding down this series uh, that we're doing on fear. Um, and uh, I think I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, but I just wanted to reiterate that next week, we're going to finish this series, and we're going to have a Q&A about questions, about fear and anxiety, and if you guys have any questions, submit them. Uh, we're going to have a, a guest speaker here, or you can ask them then, but if you're not going to be here, or, or if you know of other people dealing with issues with anxiety and fear and all that stuff, um, feel free to either get questions from them, invite them to come, uh, whichever works better for you and for them, uh, because... Uh, the, the, the goal of this series has been to kind of help remove any issues that anyone may have with doing what God has called them to do. Uh, we shouldn't have any fear whatsoever when God calls us to do something. But there may be other topics that we didn't touch on about anxiety and mental health and all that kind of stuff. So as a part of next week's celebration, uh, we're going to answer some of those questions uh, myself and the guest speaker, but also immediately after that, uh, we're going to have a community dinner. Uh, this will probably be the last one we have between now and, I was going to say Thanksgiving, but we're not going to have one before Thanksgiving, so this will probably be the last one we have. Uh, so feel free to bring a side dish, or if it's late notice and you're like, I don't have time to go out and shop and all that stuff, just come anyway. Is another advantage, small church life. There's always enough food because someone's always bringing uh, something and did anyone touch my pie back there? Is my pie okay? All right, okay. I thought that's what you were looking at. I was just asking. Okay, all right. Um, um, okay, so yeah, uh, we're gonna do that. Also, uh, before I forget, because I know um, Larry is gonna be having some tests done for his cancer, so keep that in prayer. And I'm gonna ask Sharon to remind me because I want to pray for that before we finish today. I spent some time praying for that, uh, and also. Um, on Thursday night, there were so many people, and we were sharing what we're thankful for, so many people that were like, hey, well, I'm thankful for a lot of stuff, but I got this family member that's dealing with cancer. I got this person that's dealing with cancer. I got this person dealing with cancer. So we spend some time praying for them, and I want to make sure we do that as well. And many of you know, some of you know Sally Graham. She's been dealing with cancer for a couple of years, and I shared a few weeks ago that hers is back, so she's, again, also undergoing chemo and radiation. So I want to make sure... Uh, we spend some time praying for that because that's an issue that a lot of people are afraid about. Medical issues, health issues, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we've touched on a lot of, uh, of uh, again, issues that people are dealing with with fear, specifically uh, relating to, you know, doing stuff where God has called us to do. And we started talking about, like, but I, uh, where if we, and we looked through the Bible where God called someone to do something and they said, but I can't do this, or but I am unable to do this. We said that's the... The biggest fear people have is my lack of ability. And we said, yeah, but that's where God steps in and he equips people to do the things that he calls them to do. God isn't going to call someone to do something and say, I hope you can figure this out on your own. No, he's going to equip you to do it because he wants us to be successful. Uh, and then we talked about um, failure because a lot of people look at things and say, yeah, I may be able to do it. I may be equipped to do it but I might mess up, I might fail, I might stumble at this, I might get this wrong. And we said that, you know what, that's true. God knew that in advance. God looked down through the annals of time and called broken, messed up, 
uh, mistake-ridden, some would even call us stupid people like us, said, but I'm going to use you because I love you and I'm going to equip you so that you can go out and show people what it means to be in a relationship with God. Not because of how good you are and because you don't fail, but in spite of your failures, God still says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to equip you. Uh, And then last week we talked about, but I voted, which is, you know, people kind of like afraid of either afraid of the government or afraid if their party doesn't get into place, then God won't be able to do the things he needs to do for our nation. And we all kind of looked at the Bible where God, in spite of whoever's in power, still has people like us, God-honoring people that he wants to use uh, to share his love and to share his word. But we did say that, hey, if we want God-honoring people as leaders, and we want our leaders to be just and to be righteous, then we need to have God-honoring people running for office. And not just at the presidential level, but at the, 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 the school council level, the uh, state level, uh, the state representative level, the uh, town council level, at every level, they need to be God-honoring people that are running. That's the only way you're going to get God, not so they can preach the Bible from their position, but so that they can live it out from their position by making good, God-honoring, just decisions, right? And here's caveat to that. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm back on the uh, toadstool, footstool, what's it called, whatever. What is it? Soapbox, yeah. I thought someone said stove. Anyway, back on the soapbox. Just bear with me for a minute. Here's the thing. It's not only important that we have God-honoring people running. It's important that God-honoring people vote. If you're praying and God says, this is my will, I want you to do this, and you happen to have a say, God says, I want you to do this, the more God-honoring people that are saying, well, Yes, I'm part of this party, I'm part of that party, but I'm going to pray, and here's what God wants me to do, then the more God's will can be done, right? So uh, it's, it's, it's not only just important that you vote, it's not only just important that you pray before you vote, but it's important, again, that you vote. Because there are a lot of God-honoring people that are like, well, uh, I think for we have a uh, town council vote coming up, and the turnout usually at those things is like less than 5%, maybe 10 on a really, really good year. And I'm thinking, these are the people that are going to decide about our taxes, directly impact our home, and about what happens in our schools where our kids go. That's the most important thing before you layer out to what happens, you know, decisions the president makes in Syria. Start with people making decisions about your family and your money. Those are important, so go and vote. Sorry, I'm off the soapbox now. Yeah, so today, uh, I want to hit on a topic of, of financial insecurity, but financial insecurity doesn't cover it, right? So I use the phrase, I'm broke, and you don't have to raise your hand, uh, but some people may know specifically what it means to be broke. There are some people who can say, yeah, I've had some financial struggles, and you can raise your hand, I had to worry about this, but there are other people, like me, raising my hand, who know what it means. It wasn't a financial struggle, I was broke. And there's a difference between financial insecurity and being broke, right? Financial insecurity means, hey, um, I just got laid off. Maybe I don't know if I'm going to have enough money in my savings to pay the bills. So I'm concerned. I need to pray. Broke is, I've been laid off for a year. I know there's not enough money. I haven't paid my light bill in three months. There's a difference, right? 
Uh, financial insecurity is, you know, I just got laid off, so uh, we may not be going out to eat restaurants for a while. And I was just talking with uh, Christy, because uh, the restaurant on Eau Clareton Road, something on the hill, no one knows it. Okay. What is it? Tavern on the Hill, yeah. Tavern on the Hill. It used to be something that's changed over a number of times. And I was like, oh, now it's Tavern on the Hill. Maybe we should go try that. Uh, let's do that this weekend. But then I was like, wait, we can't because, you know, we're, we don't have a lot of money. And I want to go out to eat today. And then later I want to go see a movie. So she and I couldn't go out to eat to go check out that restaurant because, you know, financial security, financial pressure. That's one thing. Broke is not, hey, I can't go to the restaurant. It's, I don't have food for the rest of the week in my refrigerator. I've already gone through, you know, the things we live in the, leave in the back of the cupboard, like the rice and the tomato sauce and, 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 and lentils and, and whatever else and, that we don't touch for weeks. I've already cleared all those out. That's what I ate last week. Now there's nothing but empty wrappers and, and the crumbs off the onions that are sitting in there. That's it. That's a different thing than I can't go to a restaurant. So being broke is hard. So I wanted to talk about that because you may look around this room and think there's no one in here right now that's broke. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe going through some financial pressures, but I'm not broke. Thank you, Jesus. But there are people who live next door to us, who our kids go to school with, who we work with, that are flat broke. And they have no idea how they're going to make a car payment, get money for a bus, um, guys coming to repossess their home, all kind of stuff. And they're friends, they're people we know, and they're dealing with this stuff. So I wanted to address it, but I needed to make a distinction because um, there is this thing called the prosperity gospel, which says that it is God's plan that every single person be rich, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not true. God does want to bless us, says it over and over in his word. God does want to prosper us. But biblical prosperity, it's not about money. It's about God's provision. It's about being better off after God intervenes than I was before God intervenes. And there's a difference. The prosperity gospel says, hey, God wants us all to be rich. There's millions of people in third world countries who are sitting right now and saying either that's a lie or God's a lie because they're not even close to rich. There are millions of people in Venezuela, their whole economy collapsed, that think, hey, where is this God that wants to make me rich when I'm paying literally $25 for a thing of rice? Is God lying or are they lying? Now, the truth is God does want to prosper them. That means, hey, before you had no rice, now you have the $25 to buy rice. He made you better off than you were before. And if you think about it, in the Bible, there were people who were hungry and who were starving. God didn't make them rich, but he fed them and clothed them. In essence, he prospered them. He made them better off than before they started. That's what prosperity means. It has nothing to do with I'm going to be the next millionaire. Or I'm going to be sitting on Shark Tank next month because I made millions of dollars. And we live in a world that says that's, that's what the American dream is, right? It used to be, you know, um, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to own a home, hopefully a car too, uh, maybe a color TV, you know, 
Some of y'all remember when it was black and white, color TV, flat screen, whatever, and, and, and I'll be able to have enough money to save it for my kids' education so they'll grow up and they'll be able to do the same thing. That used to be the American dream. Now the American dream is I'm going to be a millionaire or an entrepreneur who makes, has multiple franchises or what they say now, some of you may not be familiar with this term, is I am going to be an influencer. I'm going to have so many people watching my Facebook or my Instagram or following me on Twitter that companies are going to come and pay me money just to do their stuff. Now, I say that being that, um, like, there are companies that will pay you money if you have enough followers. They'll be like, hey, Gary, you've got, like, a million followers. We'll pay you, you know, just to wear our clothes because then your followers will see it. It's advertising, right? And that's what people aspire to now is I want to be an influencer so I can get rich and I can get known and I can get... That's not what God promises us. That is so far from the American dream. Right? So our discussion today is to look at what God does promise us and see how that applies practically to people who are like, where's God's promise because I'm not seeing it right now. So um, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair, left, right of you, or somewhere. Uh, and I encourage you to follow along. Uh, if, you, if you're doing it via an app or whatever, I encourage you to follow along. Because there, uh, even, if, even, if, even if this, if all you get is some piece of information that you can take back to someone you know that is broke, that is going through financial hardship, that is struggling, you can be a help to them. Right? You can be a help to them. And in Matthew chapter 6, again, background, uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is actually talking about practical ways to live your life. And at the beginning of next year, we're going to walk through that and see how we can apply the practical things that Jesus said and apply it to our lives to make our lives better and to live our lives in a godly manner. Excuse me, but he starts about talking, and, and your Bible, again, broken up into all these sections with chapters that when he said this, he didn't say, now I'm going on to chapter 6. But there are areas that say prayer and that say fasting. Uh, and then you get to the area that says treasures in heaven. Because they're like making it easier for you to look at each thing that he talked about. And in Matthew 6, verse 19, this is what he says. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that word treasure, most people translate it and say, oh, he's saying don't, it doesn't mean money. That's what most people think it means. It doesn't mean money. The word they choose for treasure uh, is, is, it was used to describe a place where goods and precious things were stored. So it could be the word safe. It could be the word vault. It could be, if you're really old school, that plastic bag under your mattress where you stick all your money in, because there are some people who did that. Um, but wherever you put things that you value, that's what he's talking about. And he says, don't make that a place on earth where you put the things that you value. Make it a place in heaven. Right? Then he talks about the eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? And people look and say, well, that doesn't make sense, because now he's shifting topics. It's the same topics. Your eye, he says, it's the lamp of your body. And if all you're seeing 
is treasures that you want on earth, you want stuff, he says, ah, that's not quite right. That's more the darkness in you than the lightness in you. And then he connects it, because the very next sentence, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we look at that and we say, yeah, you can't serve God and money. But the word that's used is an Aramaic word for money. Um, we transfer it into the English word money, but the Aramaic word is mammon, and it means possessions. It doesn't necessarily mean money. It means the problem that we in America have a problem with, stuff. Because we want more cars, we want more houses, we want, like me, more custom-made shirts, all cost money, all that kind of stuff that we want. You can't serve stuff, which usually it costs money to get this stuff, and God. Either I'm going to be God, I'm going to be obedient to you, or God, you know what, I love you, but I'm going to be obedient to whatever it costs for me to get more stuff, more possessions, more things. And then in verse 25, he says, therefore, the therefore is kind of like, since we know that stuff is on earth, and we shouldn't be putting our faith in that, we should be putting our faith in eternal stuff, he says, if you're going to put your faith in eternal stuff, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat or drink or your body, what you're aware. It's, is not life more important than food, the body more important than clothes? And he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in binds, barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more viable than they? And here's, 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 here's and this is just me. I'm going to be honest, okay? Not criticizing the Bible, but being honest. I used to read this verse especially when I was going through financial struggles, like, God, I'm not a bird. I need a lot more than a bird needs. I need more than just a nest, and I need more than just a few worms to eat. I've got bills to pay. Again, this goes back to what the Americanized, westernized way of thinking is. Because it used to be God provided. Because all we needed was a home, a car, a good job, a good job, Pride for our family, put our kids through school. That was simple. Now you need, especially in our community, I need me to have a good job, my wife to have a good job, and as soon as my kids are of age, they're going to work because the cost of living is huge. So I need more stuff. I need more money. So I have more worry about how I'm going to get all that stuff and more worry once I get it about how I'm going to pay for all that stuff. But God's trying to keep it simple. Hey, you know what you need? You need a place to live, food and clothes. And God says, I can provide that for you. If you want the extra premium cable subscription, it's going to cost you an extra 250 bucks a month, God's like, that's on you. But the basics that you need Food and clothing, God says, uh, put me first, and I can help you get that. And he says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Because worrying isn't going to pay the bills. It isn't going to help us. And then drop down to verse 32, or excuse me, verse 31. He says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? 
or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And where it says the pagans, that means people who don't know God, basically. They're Gentiles. What we used to call, anyone remember the phrase, the rat race? Hey, you're joining the rat race, you know, you're going out, and you're working harder and harder and harder to get more money, to get more money, to get a better job, so you can work more hours, so you can get a better job, so you can work more hours, all that kind of stuff, and you're getting home later, less time with your family, and then when you die, you're like, yeah, I died as the president of my company, but I died alone, my kids won't speak to me, and the ones that do, I mean, I missed half their life because you're chasing after other things. And that phrase, run after, which is for the pagans, run after, it's literally the pagans crave and demand. That's the phrase for run after. Crave and demand these things. People who don't have that relationship with God crave and demand more stuff. And he says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. And he says, hey, you got enough going on in your life than trying to chase after all of this stuff. Don't chase after all of this stuff. If you want to chase after something, chase after God. And God's going to put you on a path that's going to provide for you. But here's the problem. Even when you do that, right, life happens. Accidents, uh, health insurance because someone gets sick or a car gets totaled or, you know, a tree falls into your house. That, it happens. Stuff that you never would have thought of, and now you've got to come up with more money to deal with all this stuff. And a lot of people, uh, think about this. I, I've shared this with you before. I've shared this with you guys before. Uh, a lot of people think that, you know what, I can make it no matter how much money I have. And uh, I shared with you guys the average income for the U.S., United States, about $60,000. I think it's 66 or 67, but about, I rounded it down to 60,000 just to make the math easier. That's about $5,000 a month. And this is, uh, did anyone ever play Monopoly? Okay, this is not the Monopoly you normally, this is the Jefferson Hills version of Monopoly. So their increments of money is a lot bigger than the Monopoly increments, because the average income in Jefferson Hills is $88,000. So they roll a lot bigger than the average person. So, uh, so this, $60,000, that's, that's about what the person makes. Uh, you guys, I don't know if you guys see this. So $5,000, right? That's one month. Basically what a person has to live off a month, $60,000 a year job, you make $5,000. But once you take out taxes, and you take out health insurance, and you take out, um, you know, I've, I've, I've paid for my home loan, I've paid for, uh, Car loan, average car, $20,000, 15 to $20,000. I've paid for my credit card debt. The average person has anywhere from two to $7,000 in credit card debt. And you add in school loans, which some of us say, woo, we're past that stage. We don't have any school loans. Some of us still do. I've shared before, Christy has school loans we've been paying on for five years, and they've only grown. They have not gone down. And there are people who have school loans in the triple digits, and it's not cheap. So you add in school loans, and, and for those of us that say, whoa, I'm past that stage, we have kids or grandkids who are going to be getting school loans, and when they can't afford to pay, guess who they turn to? Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, welcome to the family. So after you take out all that, you have about $1,000 a month, right, to live off of. 
after all that's been taken out, you paid the home loan, you paid the, the credit card debt, you paid all that stuff. But if you round that down, that's about $250, right? $250 a week, which is a lot to live off of, you know? If I had $250 a week after everything else was paid to live off of, we would have went to Tavern on the Hill to eat. Wouldn't have been a problem. Wouldn't have been a, hey, we can't go there because we're going to do, uh, yeah, and the movie. Wouldn't have had to trade everything off. But think about this. That's 250 and that's before the stuff that the cell phone bill, on average about $100 a month, um, cable bill, whatever you're doing for cable, Netflix, all that other stuff. And this is before you've eaten not out at the restaurant, food at home. So that $250 that people think, oh, that's a lot of money to live on each week. We could, we could do a lot with $250 each week, but when you add in all these other things that we've added into our lives that we call normal, we go visit someone and they don't have cable, we're like, that's not normal, you know? We go visit someone and they don't have Wi-Fi, I don't stay with them. That's not normal. No, I'm just kidding. But that's not normal. We're like, you got to have all this stuff, and that stuff isn't free. Once you take all of that out, it's easy to see how someone who makes $60,000 a year, which is a good income, doesn't have anything left. Like, once I've, I put food in the freeze, in the refrigerator, I paid the light bills, you know, I paid the gas, I paid the this, I paid the car insurance, all the bills are paid, that's it. And you say, hey, we're going out to the movies. You want to come? Dude, I can't. I am broke. I have nothing else. Yet my bills are paid, which is good. I'm not behind. But that's it. I go to work. I pay the bills. That's it. And it's a struggle. Even if I did have the extra money to go to the movies or the restaurant, I don't have the extra money for the gas. Not this week because it went up. Maybe next week when it goes down, but not this week. I'm just broke. And that's the reality for lots of people that we know. And then again, life happens. Life insurance is needed because a relative passes away who didn't have life insurance, so you're trying to come up with the money or do a, a GoFundMe campaign to pay for someone's funeral or someone gets sick. And yeah, you got health insurance, thank you Jesus, that covers even 60, 70, or 80% of it. That 20% could be two, three, four, or easily, depending on what it is, ten, twenty, or thirty thousand dollars. And the hospitals—they're not going to look at you and say, "Oh, you're 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 a financial hardship case." They're going to look at you and say, "You make sixty thousand dollars a year. Pay up. Bill is due next month." But you're still broke. So what I want to do is I want to look, because there's a lot of people, especially God-honoring Christ followers, I've been in this situation, who are in this situation, who look and say, I'm making a good income, but I have no money, and then life happens. And I want to look at how God steps in and provides. So don't turn there. I'm going to walk through this on screen. Uh, in the book of 2 Kings, um, 2 Kings, uh, there is the story of this woman. It says, verse four, chapter 4, now the wife of a son of the prophets cried to Elisha. Elisha was like the main prophet. He had studied under Elijah, and now he was like the main prophet over Israel. And there was a school of prophets where they took people who had the gift of prophecy given to them by God, and they instructed them so that no matter where you went in Israel, 
We were all abiding by this, like we talked about earlier. Wasn't this pastor over here did it this way, this pastor or this prophet? They all went by God's word. And so this woman, she came up to the son of the prophets, and she, or of the son of the prophets, cried to Elisha. She said, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two sons to be his slaves. And this was a real thing. First and foremost, godly family, right? This wasn't people like a lot of people who like, I don't go to church, I don't care about God, I call myself a Christian because I believe that, I've never read it, I grew up that way, but I stopped going since I was nine, but I'm still a Christian. Now, I need God. Where are you? I'm going to show up at church. Help me. These were godly people. She says, your servant, my husband is dead. You know that he feared the Lord. That word fear is not fear like I'm afraid of, but reverential awe and respect for the word of God. Right? And in those days, the husband, the man, usually there weren't two families working, usually just the man who worked. And if that person died then the woman either had to get a job or this would happen. The creditor would come and take the children to be slaves. And it wasn't slave out of racism. It wasn't slave out of hatred like today. It was slave out of you owe this bill, you pay it, or you or your children are going to be working for me until it's paid off. And she said, hey, we owe money. Creditor's coming. And it wasn't like, you know, today you get the million robocalls. They wouldn't just call. They would come knocking with people to legally take your children away from you because now they belong to them to pay off this debt, right? And that was her situation. Uh, and in verse 2, it says this. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you of sale value in the house? And she said, your handmaid had nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, here, here's the thing, because I get a lot of requests from people that say, hey, um, I just went through a hardship, I lost a job, my spouse died, whatever, can you help us out financially? I get emails from people, I get calls from people saying, I need help. And they're not any of you. They're people who just look at the church as a bank that says, hey, in times of hardship, go to the church. That should be the case if you're contributing. And some people, you guys remember, it's been a while, we have helped. I go to the board, I say, here's the situation, this person needs money, what say you? And you guys say yes or no or whatever. Uh, we have to verify it with the creditors because we're not just trying to put money in people's pockets because it's your money. But sometimes, just as being led by the Spirit, I say, look, I would love to help you, but we, we just don't have the financial resources. We, we don't have the money to help pay your three months of car payments or to buy you a car, someone asked me. And I was telling Gary, I was like, if you guys are gonna buy people cars, start with me, because I need one. But I was like, we don't have the money to just buy you a car. But I do say, how else can we help you? And that, she's coming through in that day to God. She's looking for God to help. So she goes to the prophet and he refers her back. He says, um, what do you have in your house that you can sell? And sometimes, God is going to say, now this, this is not to judge people, right? Because you can, you can be paying your bills, you could have a nice car, you could have a, have a nice house and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden life happens, you've lost your job, your spouse died, uh, medical bills pile up, 
And so you show up like at the food bank or you show up uh, at the welfare office or whatever, and people are judging you because you showed up in a nice car, but they had to take the bus. But life happened to you just like it happened to them. So when people ask me, hey, what can we do? I don't judge them. But sometimes God's going to say, hey, I get it, but it's been six months without a job. Maybe it's time to sell the car and take the bus. It's been six months uh, without a job. Maybe it's time to sell the house and just get in a smaller apartment. And that's one of the things that I had to do because I was like, where are you, God? And he's like, well, you're living in a townhome worth a lot of money. You're sitting on my provision. And I had to sell it. So uh, verse 3, then he said, go around, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not a few, and when you come in, shut the door upon you and your sons, then pour out the oil you have into all those vessels, setting each aside, or setting aside each one when it is full. This portion is the part that kind of we, we start to like, oh, this is a little weird, I don't get it. Because he's not just telling her to sell what she has. He's telling her, hey, just, just, just go borrow some jars. Let me do this. Uh, Gary and Larry and Ben, can you guys each go grab a bottle of water from the back and just bring it up here? He's telling her to go and to, now she's got to involve her neighbors. Or if you have one, yeah, bring, bring that up. That's cool. That'll work. Because now she's not only got to involve her neighbors, because she's got to go borrow from all of them. And sometimes when you're going through financial stuff, when you're broke, you don't want anyone to know, right? You don't want people to know that you're struggling financially. You don't want people to know that I can no longer send my kids to school. Add back to that 60000 a year. If you've got kids going through school programs, that'll wipe it out quick. Right? You don't want your, your kids to know, here's why they can't go to the ballet. So you've got to go uh, and you try to, like, hey, I can't, I can't do this. And maybe you give them a reason why they can't go because you don't want all the people in the community to know that you lost your job, you're struggling financially, or that your husband left you, or whatever the case is. But that's not the case here. And the assumption is, this is your church family. They need to know. They need to know that you're dealing with a hardship. They need to know that you're struggling financially. Because they're going to step in, and they're going to try to help for you. They're not going to pay off your debt. But they're going to help you in a way that God leads them. And a lot of times, we don't want to tell people the depth. And when I was going through it, I did not, and this is a true story, and I don't mean it to sound a bad way. I know, going long. I did not go and tell my church family how hard it was when I lost my job. But a friend of mine who I confided in, she did. She's like, Floyd, you can't, you can't bear this all on your own. And a lot of them were mad at me for not sharing that with them because they were like, we want to be here for you. We want to pray with you. We want to support you. And they were like, don't you trust us? And I felt a little like, yeah, I guess, I guess you know, I, I, I didn't realize the support that I had. And so verse 5 <clears throat> says, so she went from him, shut the door upon herself and her sons, who brought to her the vessels as she poured the oil. So imagine this. Uh, you guys lent me all these bottles, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with these? And I start pouring oil, the little bit of oil that I already had, into each jar, and everyone, everyone over and over, the oil keeps going, and the oil keeps going until it says when the vessels were all full, all the ones she borrowed, 
She said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there, there is not one left. Then the oil stopped multiplying. And make no mistake, this was a miracle. This was God's divine hand because she was, one, willing to be obedient, two, because she went to God and trusted him, and three, because she involved her church family. Her church family didn't say, here's money, here, we're going to pay it off, but her church family responded in a way based on her faith and her obedience to God, and God multiplied the oil, and here's the best part. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Not only did she pay off the debt, but she was able to live off of the rest because God provided for her. That doesn't mean she was able to go out twice a week. That doesn't mean she was able to go buy a Tesla. It doesn't mean that you know, her sons were put in private school. It means that her food, her clothing, and her shelter what Jesus said, hey, trust me and I'll provide, were taken care of because she trusted God. And when I went through, and I've shared this with you guys numbers of times, when I lost my job and people were telling me trust God, once I finally did trust God, and yeah, he provided for me, same thing. I, I, he said, hey, what do you have in your house to sell? I had to sell my home, uh, all this stuff, but he provided for me. And here's the thing, um, live on the rest means more than just they didn't have to go and find money else in other places. It also means that she never had to doubt God's ability to provide ever again. And she included this conversation with her son, say, hey, go get the jars, hey, fill them up, give me more jars, they're all full, mom, there's nothing else to do. Oh, we've used all the jars. Do you think, now and think about this for you guys, do you think that in the future, if her sons ever faced a financial issue, do you think they would have had a problem trusting God? Never again. And Christy and I have had this conversation because you know, we've had to look at financial stuff and, and, and thank God not broke, but yeah, a lot of financial pressure. And where we differ is because of what I went through, never will I doubt God's ability to provide. And there are some times where she looks and she says, no, we can't do this. Financial pressure, we've got to stop. And, and I'm just not as anxious about it. And yes, yeah, she trusts God too. But I'm not trusting God because of what I read. I'm trusting God because of what he brought me through. And I cannot think of a single situation that I will ever face financially where I won't be able to say, I know God's got this. And I'm going to finish, uh, close by putting this up here, this verse we just looked at, and then we're going to pray. But I'm going to put it in the message version, which is like a paraphrase, same verse we read earlier. Matthew 6.31, it says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. To not be so preoccupied with stuff. I got to get more stuff so you can respond to the fact that God has already blessed us with everything that we need. Food, clothing, a place to live. Right? It says people who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. 
if you're a Christ follower, then you know that God gave his son for you. Then there should be no doubt that God can provide for you in other ways. You may not see how that's going to happen because you're broke and you're struggling and you're dealing with financial hardships. You don't have to see how it's going to happen. All you have to see is that God's got this. And it closes with this. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Make God our priority. Make God our focus. Make God the thing that we're chasing after or that we crave and demand. God's going to make sure that you are fed. It may not be, you know, you may not get the, 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 the tomahawk steaks. Instead, you're eating ravioli. You may not be, have to be able to stay in the four, three, whatever bedroom house. You may have to get a one-bedroom apartment. May not be able to drive the, you know, the Tesla. I still want one. Pray for me. May have to just share a car with your wife or take the bus. But God will still provide if we put him first. And I know we're talking about financially because I know for me, I cannot, there's no financial situation that I know God won't provide if we're faithful. But the same is true with people going through medical stuff. And just like I can look back and say, I've been through financial stuff, never going to doubt God again. There are people who have been through financial, I mean, medical stuff, and they think, never going to doubt God. So I want to pray first and foremost for, for people, because I know people, and you probably know some people too, who are going through some financial hardships. But I also want to pray for uh, Larry and, and uh, Sally Graham and other people we know that, that medical issues is on the horizon for them, and that's their hardship. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head. God, we lift up first and foremost um, anyone we know. And you can bring individually to mind someone for each of us who, who's broke, who's dealing with financial hardship, who's trying to figure out how to pay the bills. And we pray that they would put their trust and their faith in you. We pray that as we read, they would seek, crave, run after, demand putting you first in their life. And trust that you are going to provide for them. Trust that you're going to make sure that they're fed, that you're going to make sure that they have a place to stay. And it may entail them having to let go of some of the stuff that they've acquired. It may entail them having to open themselves to sharing with their church family so we can support them and guide them and pray for them and be there with them. But for some of them, it may entail just saying, I trust you, God. Just opening themselves up to believe that in their heart. And we pray that you would speak to them right now. We also pray for those undergoing medical issues that, that they have the doubt, uh, they have doctor's reports, they have uh, maybe cramps or whatever uh, uh, physical ailments that tell them that this is something that can't be helped. But we pray again that they would put their trust in their faith in you, that you are the great physician, that you are the healer, that you are capable of doing more than our hearts and our minds can ask or imagine. Pray that they will put their faith and their trust in you. And with God, we pray for us. For us as a congregation, that we at Crossroads would be faithful to your word, 
Be faithful as followers of Jesus Christ. Be faithful since we call ourselves Christians to do what Christ said in his word. And we pray that in every situation, whether it be financial, whether it be medical, whatever it is, that we would seek you first. Put our faith and our trust in you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. 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 Uh, thank you, guys. I know it went a little long. Thank you. Uh, pray that you um, wholeheartedly take this message to heart. If you know of someone or you yourself are, are going through something, hardship or medical, you can always come to me. Do not share everything that you guys share unless you say yes. Uh, bring this up to the congregation to pray. But we want to be there for you. We want to encourage you. Uh, now, also, as my wife is reminding me, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and uh, we're going to take up our tithes and offering. God, we thank you so much for every blessing that you have poured out on us. Thank you for the ability that we have to share and to give. And we thank you that you provide for us, even when we can't provide for ourselves. For that, we give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.